Bibles. Go over to Genesis, if you would. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 26 through 28. Last week we, uh, we shared some things about the resurrection because of Easter. So uh, two weeks from back from today we started a new series called Identity Theft. And, uh, and tie this into how the enemy has tried to steal man's identity from the Garden of Eden. We're going to look at our true identity and we can see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 and we'll review just a little bit of what we went over last time. But in Genesis chapter 1 verse 26, and God said, let us make man. Now that word God, let us, is the word Elohim. Okay, it's the Hebrew word Elohim. Let us make man in our image. And that word Elohim means Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Okay, all involved in creation. Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air and over, every, over the cattle and over the earth and every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And then verse 27, and God created man, notice this, in his own image. Say own image. own image. And in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful, multiply. Replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. It made mention of the fact that in last session when we met, we were talking about introducing this actually, that when God made the creation in six days, and then the seventh day He rested, there was never a time other than when God created, after God created Adam and Eve, that he said, I've made them in my likeness and I've made them in my image. He never said that about the livestock, the cattle, the different creatures, even the, the, uh, the ocean creatures. He never said, I've made them in my likeness and in, in my image. But when God created man, when God created Adam and Eve, who were real people, by the way. <laughs> you know, some people don't believe that. Think, oh, that's just mystical, you know, that's not figuratively, you know what I'm saying? No, there really was a real first man and a real first lady. Amen? And uh, when God created them, God says, I've made them in my very likeness and in my image. How many of you know God doesn't look like a cow? God doesn't look like a bird or a fish. All right? God looks like us. Or we should say we look like Him because we're made in His likeness. And in his image. Praise God. Now we look at verse uh, 7. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. Now keep in mind that they were already made. From the first chapter they were made in God's likeness and God's image. They were perfectly like God. But in Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. And breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a what? A living soul. Say living soul. Now, I, have, I bought these a few years ago because I heard somebody, Billy Brim, was actually talking about it, the, the Hebrew, the Jewish Hamash, okay? And those are the Hebrew sages that, uh, that know a whole lot more about the Bible, and so forth, especially the Old Testament. And I was, I was reading this, uh, their, his, their commentary out of Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, and it literally means this in the Hebrew, that when God made man... And he made, God, he made Adam a living soul. It literally means in the Hebrew that God made man another speaking spirit just like himself. Amen. And I read it. I saw that's exactly what it means. God made man another speaking spirit just like himself. All right. And so that's why we're different than the animal kingdom. Okay. You can't fellowship with a dog or a cow or whatever. You know, I've said that before. You know that. Because they're in a different class. They're in a different kingdom. They're not made in your likeness and in your image. Okay? Now they can respond to calls and things like that. You know, you teach dogs to do certain things, right? You know what I'm talking about? But we are made in God's likeness and image where God is a spirit, the Bible says in John chapter 4. And because God's a spirit, we must be a spirit because we're made in His likeness and in His image. And that's why you'll find that in, in the, uh, throughout throughout the last, last 6,000 years, really, basically, since creation, that uh, all the inventions that you see today did not come from an animal. Amen. 
It came from an intelligent being like you and like me that are made in God's likeness and God's image. God created us and put within us creative ability and talent to do things. Okay, And all of us have different gifts and talents, but we're able to communicate with God and we're able to communicate with one another because we're speaking spirits. Amen. Isn't that wonderful to know that? So I just wanted to share that with you. And then in Genesis chapter 2, just go over there real quick. Uh, You're already there, but Genesis 2 verse 15 through 17. I want you to see this. So we established the fact that God's made us already in His likeness and in His image. Amen. And I I was referring there just a few minutes ago before I started this, that the Lord spoke to my heart the other day. When I say He spoke to my heart, He spoke from His, He's a spirit and He spoke to my spirit. Do you know you can have a conversation with God without even moving your lips? Do you ever have that before? I hear God talking to me and then I talk back to Him, but I'm not moving on my lips. It's like, it's inside. Your spirit talk. Your spirit has a voice. I've had some of the most marvelous conversations with the Lord and didn't even open my mouth. Glory to God. Because that, He hears your heart. Praise God. But in Genesis 2 verse 15 it says, And the Lord God made man, put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. Now that word keep simply means to guard or protect which meant that there was an intruder that was in the garden. God says, Adam, I want you to protect this garden. You dress it, you keep it. All right? And then uh, in verse 16 it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying this, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that thou eatest thereof you shall surely die. Now, did God, met, did God mean what He said? God always says what He means, and He means what He says. He says, the day that you eat this tree, that tree was symbolic of like a tie that belonged to God. All right? He says, you can have all the other trees, thousands of trees in the Garden of Eden, but this one tree belongs to me. Okay? Now, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, we're going to go through this rather quickly here. All right? But in Genesis chapter 3, now keep in mind already God made man in his likeness and in his image. And then God said, secondly, he says, now here's your responsibility is to dress the garden, cultivate the garden, keep the garden, protect the garden. How many of you know it's important to protect what God gives you? How many of you have a lock on your door at home? Just a couple of people. Okay. How many of you know that that lock is to keep the bad people out? You know, the president, the president got a bad rap from a lot of people about building a wall. You know, bless their darling hearts. Why do you think we got locks on our, our doors at night? Huh? To protect us from bad people that are out there, right? And that's what a wall, I'm not trying to get political here, but that's what a wall is for, is to keep the bad people out and have a big beautiful door to bring people in legally. Amen? Isn't that right? Okay. Well, God was telling Adam, he says, look, you're to build a wall. A protection around this garden. We have to protect what God gives us. If something is valuable to us, we don't just lay it around anywhere. We protect it. And what more important to protect? The Bible says, guard your heart. Dress and keep and guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of the forces of life. Glory to God. Now, he said, that, well, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, and we see that the, the enemy came here. Uh, wow. And now the serpent, verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field with which the Lord God made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, now this is King James, Yea, hath God said. Now notice that phrase, Yea, hath God said. Did you notice the power of suggestion? Now the devil doesn't always come in his wrath and his fury, you know, with fright. But he comes with a suggestion. Sounds intelligent. Right? This is primarily how the devils come and he deceives people, right? And he says, Yea, hath God said. Or do you think God really meant what he said? You shall not eat every tree of the garden. Verse 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, 
you shall not surely die. Now you notice the conversation that's gone back and forth here. But what is, what is the serpent, the devil, through the, this body of the serpent, what is his primary goal here? To get Adam and Eve to doubt what God said. Are you with me? Uh, God really didn't mean that, you know. Now look at what he goes on to say right here. And the verse 4, it says, And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, but God doth know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and you shall be as gods, knowing both good and evil. Now wait just a split second right here. When God made Adam and Eve, He made them complete in the Garden of Eden. And the devil was trying to make them and persuade them that something was missing in their lives. They were missing out on something. When in fact they weren't. When God put them in that garden, I'm telling you, they had everything they could ever want, dream, or imagine. They they were fulfilled. They had everything. Matter of fact, when God made the, the, the order of creation, when He made all the land creatures and the, and the grass and the trees and everything, you know, God didn't put Adam there first on like a moon surface. He made everything beautiful first to complement His final crown of creation, which was Adam. And He put him in a place that was already fulfilled, already finished, already done. Turnkey, if you will. Are you with me? And so the devil came and said, uh, oh, God knows that, you know, that he's trying to really keep something from you, you know, and, if, and uh, you know, but if you partake of this fruit, you're going to become just like God. Folks, they were already made in God's likeness and God's image. Now, if you get on to verse uh, 6, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was pleasant for the eyes and the tree was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them were both opened. And they uh, knew that they were naked and they sewed themselves fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now, folks, I don't know about you, but if you've ever seen a fig leaf before, anybody here ever? My brother-in-law used to live in South Carolina and he had a fig tree on his property. Okay? And I thought, I got to see this. I never saw a fig tree. I've read about them before. Then I went out back and I'm the, the, the leaves are about twice as big as a man's hand. And they're sharp. I mean, the edges are sharp. And right away I thought of sewing fig leaves together. That would hurt. You get the point, right? <laughs> Amen. Now, what, what happened here? Well, see, fish have scales. Birds have feathers. Man's clothing was the glory of God. God clothed with man. All have sinned and fallen short of what? The glory of God. You can read about in the book of Psalms that God clothed himself as with a light. That's the glory of God. And when man, before he sinned, his clothing was the light of the glory of God. And that's how when they partook of the forbidden fruit, that glory departed from them. And all of a sudden they're like, whoa, they're as naked as a jaybird, as they say. You know what I'm saying? Why? Because the glory departed from them. Are you with me now? Now, spiritual death took place here. This is where they died spiritually. Now, they didn't die physically that day. God said, the day that you eat thereof, you'll surely die. Now, there's spiritual death, physical death, which we're familiar with. They didn't die physically that day, but they eventually did. But they partook of that tree. They died spiritually. They became separate from God. And Satan became their Lord and their master. Okay? And that's why their first... You know, that, that, uh, the first kids, right? Who rose up and killed who? Cain had spiritual death and he killed Abel because of jealousy. His first kids on the earth. Think about that. Now, God didn't create him that way. That's because spiritual death was passed on, all right? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, you don't have to turn there, in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, it says, For in Adam all die, even so those in Christ shall be made alive. Now, all of us physically, we came out of Adam, okay? And uh, Adam's disobedience contaminated the whole human race, and we're all part of that, all right? But Jesus came along, laid his life down, passed the test that Adam failed, amen? First temptation Jesus had was with food, 
right? And he stood up against him. Now, what I want to paint this picture as this, is this, that Satan always comes with lies. We can see something. Turn real quick to John chapter 8 and verse 44. And I want to show you something here as we get into today. John chapter 8 verse 44. Inferiority and insecurity. I'm going to say that again. Inferiority and insecurity always come from the devil. Always. Always. This is exactly what happened in the Garden of Eden. God had already made them, you know, we just read, in God's likeness. They weren't missing anything. But somehow the enemy, you know, through deception came along and he said, you know, God's really trying to keep you from something good. And that's how he threw the bait out there and trying to hook them in, right? But when in fact they were already complete, they were made in God's likeness and God's image. They had everything they could ever want, need, or imagine. But the enemy made them think something was missing and they're missing out. God's trying to keep you back from something. Are you with me now? But see, here's something that Jesus said about the devil that we have to understand. Always remember this in John 8, 44. Jesus told the religious leaders of that day, and I'm sure this made their day, you are of your father the devil. Hmm. And the lust of your father you will do. He is a murderer from the beginning. He abode not in the truth because there is no truth. Notice this, no truth in him. And when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now we've said that before, Satan's a liar, the devil's a liar. What does that mean? That means he cannot speak the truth. He cannot speak the truth. How do you know when the enemy of your soul is communicating with you? Does he appear in a red suit and pajamas, you know, and a pitchfork and horns like we've seen the cartoons? No. The primary way that he comes to all of us and tempts us is through thought and imagination. Who you're thinking. All right? You know, you know, how many of you had the enemy ever attack you in your mind? Okay, all of us have. All of us have. Okay? Probably on a daily basis. Amen. But we have to realize, he's a liar. He cannot tell the truth. And if he tells you a lie, the truth is just the opposite. If Satan says, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to take you out. You say, ha, 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 you're a liar, Satan. I'm going to live long on this earth. Psalm 91 says, with long life he will satisfy me and show me his salvation. And you combat lies with the truth. But you see, a lot of Christians don't have the truth, or limitedly. They don't have the truth abiding in them. When you have the truth abiding in you, when Satan comes against you with a lie or a symptom, you say, no, mm -mm, I'm not settling for this. Praise God. Hallelujah. Satan is a liar and the father of lies. There's no truth in him. You know what intimidates the devil more than anything else is when you turn and you laugh at him. Ha, ha, ha. Now, it may not be funny. I mentioned this last time we talked. It may not be funny, but you do it by faith. Praise God. There's times I've had absolute belly laughs, laughing at the enemy. I didn't feel like it. No one told a funny joke. But by faith, I said, you ain't going to defeat me, Satan. And you know what? He didn't. I came out on top. Hallelujah. I came out victorious, but it looked like I was going to sink. It looked like I was going to go under. But there's something about the truth when you yield yourself to the truth. Jesus said, thy word in John 17, 17, he says, thy word is truth. We're to be established in the truth of the word of God. And when you believe the truth, the truth will set you free. Amen. Amen? I happen to believe that I just choose to believe the truth. Every day we have a choice. Are we going to believe what God says? Or are we going to believe what the circumstances are saying? I mean, you look at Peter when Jesus said, when, they, when he walked on the water that one day in John, or Matthew chapter 14, when he walked on the water. Peter walked on the water. I mean, he stuck those number 12s out and he began to walk on the water at Jesus' command. He just said one word, come. And he was walking on the water. Until he got his eyes on the wind and the waves. As soon as he got, got his eyes on the wind and the waves, it says he, beginning, he began to sink. Mm 
It wasn't instant, but he began to go under. Ankle deep, knee deep, waist deep, hip deep, chest deep. Amen? But he cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. And he reached down and he saved him. He pulled him up out of that muck and that mire. But see, that wasn't God's best. God's best was that Peter just walk over to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. You know? Lock arms and walk back to the boat. Not even get wet. Not even get wet. But see, we can start out, all of us can start out in faith, trusting God, looking at the Word only. Just get... You know, it's kind of like these horses on the horse track. Do you ever see those, those little cups they put on the race horses? I say, what, what is that, fancy sunglasses for the horses? No, what that is, that's, that blinds them from distractions from the right and from the left so they can look straight on. Do you ever see what I'm talking about? Maybe we should buy some of those and put them on sometime. And just not be distracted by what's on the right, what's on the left, by what so-and-so is saying, what so-and-so is saying. We've got to be so focused, tunnel vision on the Word of God. We are going to get victory in this situation. I'm not going to be moved by the natural, praise God. And as, as Peter, if Peter would have done that, he would have never gotten wet. And it's just like us. We can start out in faith, trusting God, believing God, believing His Word. But when, you know, when a bad report comes or a, a bad a letter comes or an email or a phone call, whatever, you know, Doctor's report. Amen. And it doesn't agree with the word of God. It robs your peace. That is a wind and that is a wave. And it's designed to pull you under. Amen. It's designed to pull you under. But if you keep your eyes on the word of God, let me tell you something, folks. You will not sink. You will go over. That's the best preaching I heard all week. Hmm. Satan's a liar and the father of... Now check out this verse, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. It says here, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Now notice that Satan can take advantage, according to the scripture, the devil can take advantage of us if we're, if we're ignorant of his devices. Now look at, uh, Josh, turn over to the NLT. Look at the NLT in this. It says this. So that Satan will not outsmart us, for we are, not, we are familiar with his evil schemes. Okay? See, the enemy knows there's only so many temptations that he can, there's only so many things he can do in the earth, and he's limited to that very thing. And the primary way that, that or I should say the main scheme of the devil, is to bring a thought to your mind that doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, For the weapons of our warfare, they're not natural, but they're mighty through God, to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations, and every high thought that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. you got thoughts, imaginations, strongholds. And it starts with a thought. Okay? So the battle that we're in is with our thought life. With our thought life. And if our thought life, if we don't harness our thought life, then it becomes an imagination and thirdly can become a stronghold. In other words, that thought has a grip on you. Have you ever tried to help someone that believed a lie about themselves, but you saw it as plain as day? You're like, that's not the truth. That's not the truth. But you tried to help them. And it's like, you almost like pull your hair out to help them. Say, dear God, you're believing a lie. That's not true. Well, yeah, but I believe it. Okay, what is that? That's a thought that's never been dealt with or harnessed or pulled down. And I'll tell you this, the enemy, the only thing he can bring to you is destructive thoughts, downgrading thoughts, bad thoughts about yourself. Because I'll tell you, he's, you talk about a critical person, you talk about someone that's really critical. You talk about people that are being critical. But let me tell you, the devil, he just wants to knock you out all the time. He says, you don't look good enough, you don't have the right body type. You're too skinny, you're too fat. You're too tall, you're too short, you got the wrong skin color. Inferiority, right? Insecurity, inferiority through thoughts, right? But let me tell you something you're made in God's likeness, in God's image. There's only one person like you in this earth. I know I've said this before, but I get so excited about this because just like you've got a fingerprint. No one else has. You're your own person. And God doesn't need a duplicate of you in the earth. 
I mean, even if you're, you're a twin of somebody, you know, you may look exactly the same, but you're still different. Okay? I've, I've known twins before when you first meet them, like, you know, it's like looking in a mirror, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but once you get to know them, you realize, oh, okay, there's differences here, you know, they may look alike, but they're still different. Listen, you got a finger, you got a fingerprint. God has made you unique and special. And there's only one person like you in the earth. And God needs you to be the best you that you can possibly be. And that, to me, that wipes out all in any competition. I'm not trying to be like someone else. I'm not even trying to be like another preacher. I, I learned that long, long time ago. Okay? Now, I, may, I might have similarities to some of the people I follow, but I'm not trying to be like people. I'm trying to be the best me that I can possibly be and let God just use me the way that I am. Amen? And I'm comfortable in my skin. I can sleep at night in peace because I'm not trying to compare myself to anybody else. Don't ever try to compare yourself to someone else. Don't ever do that. Because... Two things will happen. Basically, you're going to, if someone's better off, and they might seem better off than you. They might have more money than you, better job than you, whatever. You know, uh, That can lift you up in pride. If you think, I'm better off than that person. Or you can get discouraged, think, I don't have as much as they do. You know what I mean? But you run your own race, and you just stay faithful. And I, I tell you, it's just so wonderful to be able to rejoice in who you are as a person. The Bible says that we're to love one another even as we love ourselves. Huh? What do you mean, Pastor Keith? Love yourself? You know, a lot of people don't love themselves. Now, I'm not talking about give yourself a big hug and say, man, I'm so great. You know what I'm saying? But I'm, I'm talking about having a, a, a wholesome respect for yourself. If you don't have that, you cannot help other people. You can't reach out to other people. You're always going to be thinking about, I feel inferior. I feel insecure. I, don't, I just don't know if I have it, what it takes. You've got what it takes. Every one of you in this room, you've got what it takes. And I'll tell you what, I believe some of you are just being so freed up today to realize I can just be myself. Glory to God. Amen. Be the best version of you that you can possibly be because there only is one of you. Thank you, Lord. Say, I love myself. Now, some of you had a hard time saying that. It's like, I love myself. No, I love myself. I like who I am. Does that mean I don't need to change? Of course not. There's always room for improvement. Amen. There's always room for improvement. But bless God. Whew. I get on this, it just does something to me. But notice it says Satan cannot, if, if, we're, if we're ignorant of Satan's devices, he cannot smart us here. He, can, uh, he has devices. He can take advantage of us. But if we know the main thing, when Satan came to Adam and Eve, we're talking about identity theft, you know, he was trying to steal their original identity of who God says, oh, you're made, you're made in my likeness, and you're made in my image. Case closed. But if they would have been establishing what God said, they said they could have turned to the devil and said, get out of here. I'm already made in God's like." He already said, don't touch that fruit, you know, and don't eat of that fruit. They could have kicked the devil out of the Garden of Eden. And where would we all be? Back in the garden. Amen. See, if it wasn't for Eve, we'd be back in the Garden of Eden. Just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> you know, that's a big joke, right? Now, listen. The Bible says in Timothy that Adam was not deceived. The woman was deceived in the transgression. Adam had wide open knowledge of what was going on here. Oh yeah. Adam was more responsible. He had the authority and he didn't use his authority in this situation. Praise God. Someone better use their authority in your house. Amen. Listen, you might be the only one that's walking with God in your house. But let me tell you something. With God on the inside of you, do you know it was said of Joseph in the Old Testament that God blessed the house of Pharaoh for Joseph's sake? Think about that. Old Joseph, praise God. Old Pharaoh... You know, King Tut and all those guys. You know what I'm saying? 
God, God blessed the house of Pharaoh, who was an ungodly worship, false gods. God blessed the house of Pharaoh. Why? Because Joseph was there in Egypt at that time. And God made everything Joseph do to prosper in that land in Egypt. He became the, you know the story. I love the story of Joseph. It's, it's wonderful. He's a type of Christ. He took the lowest place, you know, and God just raised him up. He was faithful to God. But if we understand that through insecurity and inferiority are the primary ways that the enemy comes at, if, he, if you get a thought that makes you feel inferior or insecure, realize the devil's talking to you. In fact, if he's just moving his lips, he's lying to you. Okay? Now, we saw this last time, and I'll try to wrap this up here today, but the point that I want to bring out, number one, PowerPoint number one, if you're taking notes, realize this. What God says about me should mean everything. What God says about me should mean everything. Praise God. Now go to uh, Luke chapter 4. I want to show you something here. What God says about you is the truth. When God said, Adam and Eve, I made you in my likeness, made you my image. That was the truth. Period. That's the truth. And if we establish the fact that God's Word is the final authority in our lives, what He says about us, that's all that matters. Let me ask you a quick question. Just, you don't have to answer out loud, but how many of you here, in, from this, every one of us here have some type of past, right? We have Going backwards, right? If you've been born into this earth, you have some type of past, right? How many of you here have ever had some, somebody either say something to you, especially say something to you or do something to you that really hurt you? Raise your hand at some point. Okay, that's a good majority of the people. Probably all of us, okay? Now, I've noticed this, especially when people are younger. When I was younger, I had some things happen to me that were uh, very ungodly, not from my parents, okay? But we lived in a really bad part of town when I was growing up, you know, and I had some things happen to me, which I'm not going to get into. And, uh, and I, was, I was unable to, to protect myself, you know what I'm saying, because I was really young, you know? And, uh, but I've noticed this, that the enemy tries to launch an attack on you and on me when our younger years, when we pre- pretty much are defenseless, you know what I'm saying? That maybe we were with the wrong crowd or the wrong people or the wrong relatives and something happened. Or maybe words, maybe there was physical abuse, maybe there was uh, mental abuse. Words were said, degrading words were said to you that to this day, if it hasn't been dealt with, those seeds are still there. And it might have happened 45 years ago. Are you with me now? Okay. Now, it may appear to be real, but it's not real. That's not the truth. That's a lie. It's through deception. Okay? And words are powerful. And words have meaning. And that's why it's so important to speak. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, Let no unwholesome words proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. He says, let no unwholesome words. Now, what happens if we say something wrong? We should just repent. Say, God, forgive me. Amen. I, I, I said something recently. I said, oh, God, forgive me. I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Have mercy on me. Be quick to repent if you say something derogatory. I don't want to say anything derogatory about anybody. Amen. Praise God. Because I don't want to affect their, their, their destiny. I, I really don't. But I want to say words... And I'm very careful about that. Lynn and I are both very careful about that. When we speak over you, whether we're with you in person or behind the scenes, so to speak, we want to say words that will build you up and and edify you and encourage you. Because that's God. But we see something here, and I've got to get through this quickly here this morning. So the PowerPoint number one is, what God says about you or me should mean everything to us. It's God's opinion of us. How do you know what's God, what God's thinking of you? His Word. Well, God says, well, how God thinks about you 
how God feels about you is all written in the Bible. <laughs> God's love letter to you. Amen. Many, many years ago, I was, uh, when we first got out of Bible school, moved to Texas, I was working in a church as an associate pastor. And they were building a physical church at that time in, in Colleen, Texas, near Fort Hood. And uh, they were building a, a physical church. And so when we first got there, they put me as, as part of my job responsibility as hanging drywall. And I never did that before. You know, and we're working on the building and it's 108 degrees inside in the, in the summer heat in Texas, I mean to tell you. And uh, scorpions running around. Things. I, I saw, that's a scorpion, my God. I've, I've heard about those. I've read about those. But, you know, here we are. <laughs> and um, then I, I just loved it because I was just fresh green in the ministry. We were hooked up with a really good ministry down there where we learned a lot of stuff. And um, uh, so anyway, we'd always have, around noontime, we'd always have our lunch break, you know, and, and the staff, we would take a break and we'd get our lunch pails and so forth. And one of the days, you know, I opened my lunch pail and there was a note in there from my wife. Now, I didn't know it was in there. I opened the thing up and here comes a, a little note. And all the guys were like, ah, I see what that is. Read that to me. You know, they're joking me, you know. I said, no, no, this is between me and my wife, you know. You know. So I had this, and I, it was just a little, little love note from her to me, from her heart to me. And had little kisses and hearts on it and everything else. And <laughs> praise God. But, you know, it wasn't a very long little note, but you know what? It ministered to my heart. In fact, I stuck it in my pocket, you know. And about two hours later, I went to the back room and I pulled it out again. And I. Not too long after that, I did the same thing. You know what I'm saying? And it ministered to me. That little note ministered to me. It was a, a little a le letter, a little note from my wife. Okay? Well, uh, right around that time, right around that, that same week, the Lord spoke something to my heart regarding that. And He says, Son, I wish you'd treat my word the same way. I said, What do you mean? He said, Well, you believe your wife wrote that note to you, don't you? I go, Yeah, I believe that's her writing. He goes, Well, my, my word is a love letter to you. Okay? That's how we should interpret the Bible, is God's love letter to us, how he feels about us. Oh, you know what I mean? And you personalize the scriptures. You say, that's for me. When the Bible says, the Father himself loveth you, you see yourself as being loved by the Father. He loves me. I've got a note. I've got a letter that tells me that right now. And I'll tell you what, I've, been, I've, been, I've always endeavored haven't always been totally successful, but I've always endeavored to take the Word of God as God's Word to me personally, His love letter to me. And when I look at the Scriptures, I said, that's to me. I remind myself of that. Okay? Now, in closing here today, the number one thing is, what God says about me should mean everything. His Word, what He says to you. The second thing I want to talk to you about today is that God's Word is an actual mirror of who you really are. God's Word is an actual mirror. Now, check out this scripture in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. We want to have the right identity, right? Praise God. In Luke 4, 16, it says, And, G and it came... And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue, synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up for to read. Now notice that Jesus had a custom that on the Sabbath day, where did you find him? In church. That's a good custom, amen? That, that happened to be on a Saturday. Ours is on a Sunday, of course. But Jesus was in church. If you wanted to find him on the Sabbath, guess where he was? In church. And he stood up for to read, and there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book, now this is Jesus, he found the place where it was written. Now he's getting ready to read Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, which I'm, we're not going to turn to that because of time here. And there was delivered to him the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he opened the book, he found the place where it was written. Verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. 
He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, to recover the sight of the blind, to set liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Praise the Lord. Jesus opened the scriptures in Isaiah and he read this. Now look at verse uh, 20. And he closed the book and he gave it to the minister and he sat down and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bore witness and wondered at his gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? Okay. Now, I really like this portion of Scripture here because we're talking about finding yourself in the Word. Your true identity is found in the Word of God. When Jesus opened the scroll, it was Isaiah chapter 61, and He was reading verses 1 through 3. But see, here's the thing. When Jesus was reading this, He was actually reading about Himself. He found Himself in the Scriptures. He identified with what the Scriptures said about Him. Now, you would have thought that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years have gone by and prophets have prophesied about the coming Messiah and so forth and so on. That, that the people in the synagogue, well, let's just look at their response. Look at Luke chapter 4, verse 28. This is after He said this. And all that were in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, what things? The things he just said, they were filled with joy and gladness. No, they were filled with what? Wrath. What's that mean? Ticked off. And the, notice it says, and he rose up, and they rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the the cliff, the hill where the city was built, and they, that they might cast him down headlong, but he passing through their midst went on his way. Amen. I think there were some angels involved here. Amen. Just, just got out of there. That's probably why Judas thought, oh, if we just turn him over, he'll get out of this one too. But see, that wasn't the way he was going to go. But here's the, here's the point I want to make is this. Jesus found himself in the scriptures. So you could say it like this. The scripture was like a mirror to his face. Of, this is who I am. When Jesus read this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He said, that's me. Now that was okay. Everything was fine up to this point until he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And he closed the book and he sat down. Now what does that mean? Did you know that synagogues in Jesus' day in every synagogue throughout Israel, that there was one seat that was reserved for the Messiah. Nobody sat in that chair. Amen? It's kind of like my dad's chair when I was growing up. <laughs> Don't sit now. Not literally, but you know what I'm saying. That's my chair. It's like Archie Bunker. You know, you got the Edith's chair and Archie's chair and my dad's chair. You know what I'm talking about. Right? <laughs> and when Jesus went over, it was bad enough what he said. He said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. And then he sat down in the seat that was reserved for the Messiah. And they were absolutely beside themselves. So much so that they took him out. You know, you've seen those body surfers in crowds. You know, they've taken him out to the edge of the cliff to throw him over the cliff. Jesus' first sermon. I never had it that bad. <laughs> but what, what was it that ticked off these people so much? Why did they get so angry? Because he saw himself in the scripture and they didn't see him that way. They said, no, you're Joseph's son. You're not God's son. You're Joseph's son. Wrong identity. They tagged him with the wrong identity, but Jesus identified himself with, that's who Isaiah was talking about 500 years prior to this. He was prophesying about me. That's me. I am anointed to do this and to do this and to do this. Amen? You say, well, yeah, pastor, I'm, I hear you, but that's Jesus. What about me? 
All right, let's look at one other example real quick here. Look at Mark chapter, we're wrapping this up in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And it says in verse 2, It is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way of the Lord. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his pass. John did baptize in the wilderness and preached the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Okay? When they asked John the Baptist, Who are you? You know what he said? I am the one that Isaiah, that they talked about, of the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. John the Baptist found himself in the scriptures. Okay? So that's, that, that's one step after Jesus here. John the Baptist found himself in the scriptures. Now, quickly go to 2 Corinthians, because I've got, I got to have you see this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. There is a mirror that me and you can look into. And I think it's probably one of my favorite things to teach on and preach on is because it helps people so much. It helped me so much. It's to realize I can look into God's Word, which is a mirror. And this scripture bears that out. It says, but we all with open face behold as in a glass. Now that's the old King James. It's actually a better rendition would be mirror. Anybody have a translation that says mirror? Okay. Let's read it like that. But we all with open face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Notice that we, we look at ourselves uh, like a mirror and we're changed from glory to glory. We're changed from glory when we look into the mirror of God's Word. We're changed. Now, in, in James chapter 1, I'll just quote it here, but in James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, But, if, but be ye doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man beholding himself, his natural face, in a mirror. And he beholdeth himself, but he goes away, and he straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, not being a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. So we see that Paul and then James both use this phrase glass, or we would say mirror. And I like the Corinthian scripture because it says that we're, we're changed. When we look into the mirror, we're changed from glory to glory. Now I know that probably all of you here have seen from time to time. I know there's a particular restaurant uh, that's over in our part of the where I live, you know, and they have these these funny mirrors, you know, when you walk to the, when you go to the restroom, you're walking down this long hallway. It was a Max and Irma's actually, and you're walking in this hallway, and there's this mirror at the end of the hallway, and you look at yourself, and you're about nine foot wide. Get a laugh out of people, you know. And then there's another mirror where you're about nine foot tall. Okay, we know just from the natural, those are not, those are not true images of what you really look like, right? Uh, you go to a, an amusement park or a circus or something like that, Kennywood, whatever, they have those same type of mirrors, and people get a laugh out of that, you know, but we know that those are not true images, they're false images, right? But wouldn't it be sad if somebody went up to that mirror and they started crying and said, oh God, I didn't know I looked like that. You would take them aside and say, honey, now listen. <laughs> listen, you'd comfort them all you could and say, that's not a real image of who you are. That's a false image. No, no, that, I looked in that mirror. That's what I look like. But you know, we wouldn't do that in the natural. But in the spiritual realm, we do it all the time. Because the devil tries to put a false image in front of us and say, here's the way you are. Here's what you're like. Amen. You know, the devil, especially nowadays, comes along and says, you're a man, all right, but you're really a woman on the inside. No, you're not. Or vice versa. No way, Jose. Amen? That's a lie from the pit of hell. But see, Satan's trying to twist and alter and change things with the way God created us to be. Praise God. God needs men to be men and women to be women. Amen? Hallelujah. But the image of God... Our true image is found in the mirror of God's Word. When I look into the mirror of God's Word, I find 
what God says about my health. That by his stripes, I was healed 2,000 years ago. 1 Peter 2.24. Matthew 8.17 is another mirror. Himself, Jesus, took my infirmities, bare my sicknesses. Himself, Jesus, took my infirmities, bore my sicknesses. That's the true image. And when I look into the mirror, but we got to keep the mirror in front of us. we got to keep that mirror in front of us. If we let the mirror go, we could leave this earth out of the will of God. Amen? Amen. Praise God. You know, Paul writing to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'll just refer to it. They, they abused some things in the church, and Paul had to correct them, you know, and one of the, they abused the gifts of the Spirit, speaking with tongues. They did it out of order and stuff like that. There's a right way to do it, right? They abused pretty much everything. They abused Holy Communion. And back, back in those days, they, their communion was like a meal. It wasn't like a little wafer and a little cup of juice. It was a meal. It was a covenant meal. And so what happened is they would come and, and a spirit of gluttony would overtake them. They would eat more than they should have. And when the other people showed up or the latecomers came in, there wasn't enough food for the other people to take communion. <laughs> Do you have any relatives like that? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> this actually happened. And Paul, Paul, Paul uh, rebuked them. And in a loving way and corrected them on that, you know. And he said, you're, you're not discerning the Lord's body correctly here, you know. You're to wait for one another and prefer your brother above yourself and so forth and so on. And, and uh, he went on to say this. He says, in the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many have died prematurely not discerning the Lord's body. Now, wait a minute. Paul said many of the Christians have died prematurely, checked out of this earth, gone to heaven, thank God, but it was out of the will of God. Many have died prematurely. For what reason? Not discerning the Lord's body. Now, we, I will say it like this. The word discerning can throw people a little bit. The word discern means to understand. Okay? If I, if I say something, I said, do you understand? You go, yeah, pastor, I understand. That means you discern what I said, okay? And he says, many have died prematurely for this reason, not discerning the Lord's body. How do you discern or understand the Lord's body? Number one, number one, you walk in love. Number one, you walk in love towards other members of the body of Christ. Let love rule always. Let love be your deciding factor in everything you do. Our actions, our deeds, our thoughts, or everything that we do, if, I'm, if I've got love on my mind, then I've got people on my mind. Amen. Amen. Did you know this? The Lord said this to me a while back. He said, he said, Keith, did you know that people are the sum total of, they're the object of my love? God displays all of His love towards human beings. So if we, we walk in love, we're not going to do something that's going to hurt another member of the body of Christ, Right? But the second way to discern, I know I'm going through this quickly here, but the second way to discern the body of Christ is to, to discern or understand that the body was broken for us. Prior to going to the Roman cross, right before that, Jesus was led by the Roman soldiers to the whipping post where he received 39 stripes on his back from the Romans uh, who were torturous in the way that they beat people. Most people wouldn't even survive through that. Because at the end of their whips and their cat of nine tails, they would tie sharp pieces of bone and glass and sharp objects. And so that when it got contact with the flesh, it would rip off the flesh. Many times just exposing the whole spine and everything. That's how evil those people were. Amen. Now Paul said this. He says, many have died prematurely not discerning the Lord's body. Now look, folks, you can take communion but do it in a, in a religious, ritualistic way, like just, just walk out the door. You know what I'm saying? Doesn't do anything. Very little. 
But when you have revelation that that body, that bread is symbolic of the body of Jesus. It doesn't become the body of Jesus. It's symbolic. Okay, it's not cannibalism. But that, he says, this caught, he says, eat this in remembrance of me. When we say, when we understand, there's two elements, the juice and the bread. We know what the, the juice represents, what? Forgiveness, the blood of Jesus, right? And he said this, for this cause, many are weak and sickly, not discerning the Lord's what? He didn't say juice, he said the Lord's body. His body was beaten 39 times. Isaiah saw it in 53, he prophesied it 500 years prior to this time. That, you know, he was led as a lamb before the, his shears was dumb, he opened not his mouth, you know, and so forth. And he talked about Jesus, you know, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquity, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed in Isaiah chapter 53. What a beautiful scripture. My goodness. Beautiful picture of our Savior. Now Peter quotes it in 1 Peter 2.24 and he's referring back. He says, by whose stripes ye were healed 2,000 years back. Okay? So the way that you discern the Lord's body is you understand, wait a minute, those lashes, wow, those lashes were laid on the back of Jesus so that I could walk in physical health. Amen? And live out the number of my days on this earth. That's the grace of God, the love of God. And you know, I had heard this a while back, but I had heard that there was uh, medical science in the last several years came out with the fact that there are actually 39 major categories of diseases in the earth today. 39 major, we know there's more diseases, but 39 major categories. Now I didn't know that, but I found that information out. And Jesus was lashed 39 times. Not 40, 39 times. And every one of those lashes that were laid on his back, if you understood that those, you know, we don't want to just go, oh, Jesus, he's healed. He's healed. He's not suffering anymore. <laughs> he did suffer, but he got over it. And he's a risen Christ now. He's a risen Savior. But folks, listen to me. Those stripes that were laid on his back were laid there for your sake and my sake. With his stripes, we were healed. Now, if that, if that truth frustrates you, you don't have a revelation of it. Yeah, brother, I've heard that before. You don't have a revelation of it. But I'm telling you what, folks. Mm. I believe with all my heart, by Jesus' stripes, I, Keith, am healed. I'm looking into the mirror of God's Word. His Word says, I am healed. Amen? And when I have faced literal death twice in my life with situations in my life physically, I reminded myself of that. As I said, I ain't going this way. I ain't going this way. I ain't no way. By His stripes, I am healed. By His stripes, I am healed. And I still say it daily, daily, daily. I don't wait till I'm sick. I don't wait till I'm feeling something in my body. I get in the shower and I'm taking a shower and water's hitting off my body. I say, by His stripes, I am healed. When I'm driving down the street, I said it this morning, thank you, Lord, that by Your stripes, I was healed. What am I doing? I'm looking into the mirror. And when I look into the true mirror, it says, you're healed, Keith. Amen? Do you get this this morning? Amen. Amen. Jesus found himself in the scripture. John the Baptist found himself in the scripture. We find ourselves in the scripture. Now, what I'll get into a little bit next week is, you say, well, pastor, I can't look into the Bible and see there's a name attached to my... How do I know which scripture is mine? In other words, okay. I'll talk about that next week. And I will show you, and I will show you by revelation of the Word of God, here's how you can find yourself in the scripture. Amen. Everywhere in the Bible, I'll just give you a little taste here. Everywhere in the New Testament, where you see the word in Christ, in whom, by whom, through Christ, through Him, those are all prepositions. If any man be what? In Christ. 
That's a preposition. That is showing your relationship. That's who you are. I am in Christ. I'm a new creature. That's who I am. 2 Corinthians 5.21, He who knew no sin was made to be sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness, righteousness of God in Him. In Him, in Christ. I'm righteous in Him. That's me. That's my true image. Okay? So when you wake up on a daily basis and you look into, you just take one scripture, two scriptures, and you look into this thing, and you uh, blow the dust off your Bible. I say that jokingly, but sometimes it's true, you know. But we've got to look into the scripture and say, that's, that's who I am. God says I am, that's who I am. If God says I'm righteous, I'm righteous. If God says I'm healed, I'm healed. Now you might have symptoms in your body, but let me tell you something, that's going to wane, that's going to, that's going to leave. A storm can come, but a storm can go. You've all been there when a storm blows in, you know, and you feel the effects of it. Before you know it, it blows through and it's gone. The sun pops out, just like today. And it can leave just as fast as it came. But the key, the key is to keep the Word of God before you, the image, the mirror. Keep it before your eyes. Now, we're not talking, you don't have to go to Bible college to figure this out. You can just take one scripture, two scriptures, and and say them out loud and acknowledge this is who I am. This is what I have. You know, John Osteen used to say, this is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what his son picked up on that too. He said, where'd that come from? Inspired from God. This is my Bible. I have what it says I have. I can do what it says I can do. I am what it says I am. That's the image of who I am. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And I'm finished today. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Liberty and freedom are here. When we find out who we are in Christ Jesus, when we know who we are, that's what true liberty is. <laughs> I am fired up from the inside out. <laughs> Glory be to God. I'm a happy man because <laughs> I know who I am in Christ Jesus. Amen. We keep that image before us. Praise the Lord. Oh, we bless you, Lord. We bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Every head bowed, every eye closed for a minute. God made you in His likeness and God made you in His image. But maybe that image has been distorted through the years and things have happened in your life that have, well, let's just say it's been tormenting to you. Some of the images that you've had about yourself that are degrading, that are uh, meant to just tear you down. But the Lord is stepping in today. The Lord is stepping in today and He's changing that, inner, that picture on the inside of you. And I'll tell you, you're never ever going to be the same again. See, God changes you from the inside out, not from the outside in. Praise you, Lord God. We praise you, Lord God. We receive that image, Lord. If you've never met, met Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you can do that today. With nobody, not, not a soul looking around. This is just between you and the Lord, okay? If you, you're not sure whether or not you would go to heaven if you left this earth. You're not sure, but you want to know for sure. Would you lift your hand up? Just quietly lift up and then, let, then lower it back down just real quick. No one's looking around. Best decision, wisest, smartest decision you'll ever make, I'm telling you. Most important decision you'll ever make. I am not going to embarrass you. I'm not calling you forward. I'm just going to... Just you acknowledge this before God. Just raise your hand if that's you. Don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Praise God. All right, now here's what I'd like to do in reference to that right now. Say this after me. Let's all pray this together. Say, Dear God in heaven, I believe that you sent your only son to die in my place. 
I make Jesus Christ the Lord of my life this day. Come into my heart, Lord. Forgive every sin. And I decree that Jesus is the Lord of my life from this moment forward. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. The Lord, the Lord just spoke to my spirit. Oh, thank you, Holy Spirit. The Lord says, I, I died for that family tension right now. I died so that you could have peace and not family tension right now. And the Lord is releasing you right now from the care of that situation right now because it's in the hands of God. He's releasing you from that family pressure because the Lord's taken that pressure. I don't think I've ever said that before. But the Lord has taken that pressure so that you can walk free, so that you can have peace in your heart. Oh, especially on your drive home, your way home today, you'll have great peace Great peace. You'll just sing praises to God and thank God and have a heart of joy and peace and gladness and not dread the future. Ha, ha, ha. Because God's taking care of my family. God's taking care of me. God's taking care of my loved ones. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord. 